You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Happy Fourth of July weekend. It's good to be here. A little bit of a rainy day, but it's good to just sit in it. Um, Today, we are going to talk about and sit in the gravity of love, which is just so good. I was expecting some ahs and some oohs. Um, But really, the last few weeks we've been walking through, uh, as John has kind of pastorally been talking about, these two kind of separate families that you start to see, right? You see this family that's more of the world. Its father, as John says it kind of starkly, is the devil and has some value systems, and it's kind of more of the darkness, and there's, there's hate, and there's fear, and there's saying that we know God, but we don't really know God because no fruit is coming out, and you kind of see this a lot of the times, and he has this juxtaposition then to the actual family of God, and the family of God, if you're a children of God, then there have these kind of value systems that work, so he's been walking us through the family core values as children of God of practicing righteousness loving one another, and testing the spirits. And this is all kind of the package deal that really is the overarching family. If you were to put all that into one word, one value, one um, theme, it would be the family of love. And we'll see that today. And it's not love defined like when I say love, there's stuff that comes to each one of our minds. Right, there's stuff that comes to your mind of, of what we've heard from movies or songs or how we feel about it or what we've expressed to a spouse or what's been expressed to us or whatever, right? But today we're going to talk about love defined as John defines it in the scriptures in his letter of 1 John chapter 4 where he says God is love. Okay, we need to redefine love today. Verse 7 and 8, he says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know or does not love does not know God, because God is love. Okay, so real quick, use a little bit of uh, original language stuff, because I think this will be helpful. There's two choice words that John uses here, and we've talked about these before. Hopefully these are familiar within the context of 1 John, but it's the words love and the words know, okay, or had to have knowledge of. So not unintentionally for knowledge or know, he uses the Greek word gnosko, okay? Gnosko just means to know or to have knowledge. But what's fascinating is the false teachers of this day, what was to later then become this group known as the Gnostics. So that literally comes from that word. They are, these are the people that they believe that their knowledge is what has saved them. They believe their knowledge is what sets them apart from the rest of the world. Not saving grace of Jesus, not the love of God, but their knowledge based on it. So they become the Gnostics, right? They claim to know God, but as John has been harping on over and over, he says, no, but you still, you walk in darkness from chapter one. You say, you say that you're sinless, but that makes Christ to be a liar. You do not keep his commandments. You hate your brother. You make a practice of sinning, and you do not love. And so he keeps saying, actually, these are not what it means. Knowing God isn't enough to being this saved person. Nothing in there displays an actual knowledge of God, especially a God who's defined by love. So this is the second word, love, agape. You guys have probably heard that word before, I'm sure. 
Now, you've also probably heard there's three main Greek words for love. Okay, then usually in the New Testament, one of these three are usually used. There's phileo, which is kind of brotherly love. We get from Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Right, eros is kind of more of the intimate, like, you know, you have to do this when I say sexual, like, like the kind of, you know, like, eh, you know. And then agape is like unconditional, self-sacrificial love, as we'll see today, okay? So John, in this passage, just so we're all aware, John exclusively uses agape, okay? So we're not talking about all the different kinds of love. We're talking about unconditional and self-sacrificial love. Every time you see love in this passage, it's agape. That is the nature of God's love today. And we looked at two weeks ago, we kind of looked at this difference where John brought up actually the, going back to the story of Cain, right? And going back to the story of Cain. And what Cain did is he elevated his life as more important than his brother, if you remember that story. Thus, it was unloving. Versus Jesus, who self-sacrificially laid his life down for the good of his brothers or others as example for us. And this was back in chapter 3, 1 John 3, 16. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So now, now to chapter 4, John continues in this thinking, verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember, propitiation, a fancy word for the atonement for our sins. God in the flesh, being Jesus, was God's manifestation of love to his people. Right? Giving the world Jesus was loving the world. How did God so love the world? He gave them Jesus out of love. The fascinating thing is the world hated him. Right? The world hated Jesus because out of love, he exposed their sin to them. We looked at this a week ago. I think it bears repeating. It's, it's very powerful to read this. This was in the Gospel of John chapter 15. Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. It's very stark, right? No one in particular likes to be called out, right? No, nobody in here likes that. It's not the best feeling. But what happened was there was this exposure to the fact that if sin leads to death, as we read in Romans 3, then death is where all creation was headed because of sin. And Jesus came, showed the people their fate because of this infection of sin within them, and some have decided to continue because they loved that sin, and they were called out, and they did not want to buy into the new way that Jesus offered that's actually life. But for those who had their eyes opened to it, could see that difference, see their sinful state, repent of where they were headed, and love Jesus more than they loved their sin, or themselves, it, it reciprocated the love that God has already given them. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, right? I think it bears 
uh, repeating in different words, real agape, unconditional self-sacrificial love, does not originate with us, right? It originates with God. And he revealed his love in a fascinating way by atoning for our sins. That's how he revealed it. This goes all the way back to chapter 2 of 1 John. He is the 2 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus called out sin for what it was and opened the eyes of anyone blinded by sin, but then out of love became their covering for that sin, became their atonement. The covering or payment necessary for people to be in right standing once more with their Creator, God. This was all out of love. And again, this is agape love, unconditional and self sacrificial. And listen, I get it. Anytime we sit here in church service and talk about love, and then we go out into the world, and Christians can be some of the most unloving kinds of people, okay? We can royally misrepresent God who is love. And I would say to that for myself, And for that, like, there really is not much excuse other than we're broken, (laughs) sinful humans as well. But as a people of God, we do need to do better, absolutely. But we have to represent the God we believe in for who he is. And that is the embodiment of love. But love how he defines it, not not how we redefine it. And say, we love and then expect God to be in it. Right? God is love because he sent his son to atone for our sins, not because God cares about the right issues. God is love because he called out our sins so that we wouldn't be blind to it anymore, not because he was friends with all the outsiders and not just the stuffy Christians. Right? God is love because he went to the cross to pay our debt, not because he was inclusive and everybody liked him. See, one of the huge reasons we as Christians still get this love thing wrong is because we are inherently terrible at unconditional and (laughs) self-sacrifice. That's just, it's hard to do. That's not our natural bent. Our bent as broken humans is self-glory, right? Our pull as broken creation is conditions that benefit us, and we just can't help it. This is actually one of the ways, though, recognizing this, that we can get back on track with love to confess that we're just bad at it, (laughs) that we're not God. That's okay to confess that, to confess that we actually need to be taught and retaught how to love unconditionally, how to see people who think and look and act different than us as God sees them, to love them not because they are human, but because they are image bearers, meaning loving people purely because God loves them, regardless if they believe in him or not. And this is why I think John's next words are so crucial for us. This is 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So first off, you should notice that he's gone, if you've noticed, he's been calling the people of God children, little children for a long time. Here he's gone to beloved. Okay, we titled this whole series Beloved. It's a powerful world. It's, It's kind of a bit of a play on words, right? First off, it means loved ones, the ones who are loved. That is identity shaping. So it puts the readers in the position of the ones that have been so loved by God that there's only one conclusion, to then be lovers, right? 
be loved is also an outward action. People should not interact with someone who's so utterly loved by God and not feel loved themselves by that person. If we as the beloved are welcoming God, God's presence and love to fill up our lives, then we have nothing but to pour out that love. And I love how John puts it. He says, no one has ever seen God. The implication here is not just a kind of a random blurt out. That's like a theological concept that doesn't relate. But the implication is that they may have never seen God, but they see you. They see you. Right? I remember as a youth pastor, we used to always say to the youth kids, like, you just have to realize you may be the only Bible anyone ever reads. That might actually be your life. Just the idea that you represent who God is and reveal God's work in your life. But the encouragement here is that it doesn't mean that it's completely up to us as God's people. We don't replace God, right? But that if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God abides in us and loves through us. The level of love we can give is the measure of love we allow to abide within us. Right? More of God should equal more of love. This should be our goal, and this should not be burdensome. Think about it, being infused with love to then give out that same love. That should just be a, just a never-ending conduit that's not burdensome. So how can we know if he is abiding in us? Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We looked at this uh, last week. To then we have to test the spirits to know if they say Jesus is the, is the Christ and came in the flesh. This is saying the right gospel, right? But he says he has given us his spirit, his spirit at work within us. As, as many things that we looked at last week, but primarily is the evidence that we've been saved and have been given the spirit as a gift of God. And again, John is circling back, right? This is 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. I'm, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Remember, John does these circular teachings. He kind of goes back, right? Having the spirit and keeping his commandments are circular. They feed into each other and now adding the element of them growing in our love for one another as God's love grows within us. So verse 14 and 15, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So again, it's interesting, in the first part of chapter 4, we were testing the spirits to see if they would testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And now as humans filled with the Holy Spirit, then we now testify this, which does two things. One, it confirms that the right spirit is within us, and also it confirms God's abiding within us and our abiding with him. So actually, sharing the gospel is not just something that we just should do because we're Christians, right? But it's actually something we need to do because it's what the spirit inside of us does. And we actually need to let that Oh, and let that out. It's the natural fruit of abiding in God. So John concludes this thought beautifully, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I feel like this verse is quintessential 
about God's love that are to be the lenses or glasses that we put on to then see all of the issues and things that we care about in the world through that view that God is love and God himself abides in that love. Like think about the issues or whatever you care about, you think about a lot. If God is not in the love that's being pronounced or done, then it would be questionable whether it's truly love of God at all. But if it's true love, God should be in it. For any of God's creation that does acknowledge God as the arbiter and embodiment of love, then they would be these image bearers representing and carrying around in their lives true love from God that could change and give life to everything around them. But I think it requires something first. It requires a change within us, right? Again, we are naturally a conditional people, but true agape love that can be shared with and through us comes not from us, but from God. It's God's unconditional love that we get to share. And the more we surrender to this love ourselves, the more we live into being this new creation people. And again, that should not be a burden. That should be an absolute joy and freedom. But this actually sparks another thought for John. Move to verse 17. It says, okay, so then by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is so, because as he is, so also are we in this world. So all of a sudden, John's, it seems like he's maybe making a shift here, but all, if image bearers are carrying around this love that is God himself with him or within them, then there is this confidence, not of condemnation, but this salvation and this compulsion of love within. Let me read to you something that I'm sure you've heard many, many times, but really this, there's a reason that starting with John, the Gospel of John 3.16 is so stinking powerful. There's a reason. Let me read it to you. It's 16 through 19, okay? Just let, me, let me read God's heart here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Okay, as a kid in Awana, they didn't have you memorize that last part, you know. But it's so powerful, right, to just think about that. God loved the world that he gave his son. The point of this love was not to condemn the world, but that those in the world who would believe would be saved. But as the darkness was exposed and the judgment was on the darkness and for this darkness, this act of love also acted as a judgment upon the darkness. And for those who love the darkness, this was not good news, right? This revealed the power and deception of sin to convince the people that darkness is actually life, that darkness is actually the way. But for those who believed, our eyes were open to see the light. And this not only shows a better way, but it also just exposes the darkness for what it is. But John says, for those who see the light and do not continue to love the darkness, 
that we can actually have confidence because we know that the love of God is actually being perfected in us. So that as we are in this world, we could actually be sharers of God's love to those around us. Jesus prayed this. He hoped for this in John 17. He talked about anyone who would hear the good news of the light that is God and come to know the Father. John 17, 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be even one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, more abiding language, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Right? Our understanding of God the Father's love for Jesus the Son is crucial to understanding his love for those who believe. The unifying love of the Father and the Son can be the same for us. We can actually become perfectly one, even though we are not perfect. Not because we think or look or act the same way, but because within our diversity, complete in the love that we see in this Trinitarian person of God, we can also be unified. And there's a powerful thing that happens when a people group, and it should be the church. We're not talking about other people, like it should be us. It should be God's church. There's a powerful thing that happens when we are unified in love that is actually God himself. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I just think about how much of our world, and and this includes us as well because we're in the world, how much of our world is in fear, right? How many people have built their lives around themselves, not out of love or joy, but out of fear? In general, fear is gripping a lot, if not most of our world, and has pretty much forever, right? Even in the aspect of human natural love, not from God, but just natural love, there's still a fear that there won't be love reciprocated. You won't be loved back. Human love could still be considered to have some risk and some fear in it. But perfect love, this again, agape love that is God himself, not only does not have fear in it, but it actually casts out fear. So let's get real for a second. How often has the Bible or belief about God been used to actually create fear, right? We hear these horrific stories in our history, right? How often has the love quote of God actually been an excuse for evil. How many times has someone come to faith in God, not out of love for God, but in, out of fear of eternal damnation, right? Love defined as God himself, sending himself to what we would all fear at the cross so that when it was fi- finished, there was no fear. There was only love because here is the main takeaway. If you don't remember anything today, this is it. First John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. Our capacity to love God is never based on our efforts, but it's always by the love that he first gave us. The love that was able to bring us into right relationship with him in the first place is the only basis for why we can love God and others at all. Right? I think the thing that's fascinating to think about is God does not have to try to love us. 
He doesn't throw up his hands like, you know, we would, we would kind of be exasperated, you know, because he, he chose to love us over and over and over again. His love is unconditional. It's not dependent on what we do or don't do. And of course, God's heart is grieved by sin. Of course, when his children choose darkness, even when they know the light, this grieves his heart, but this doesn't change his love for his people, right? Uh, anytime I can do a Spurgeon quote, I, I love it, but the prolific 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, he gave a few sermons just on these eight words, just on these right here, because there's so much in here, and I thought this was an insightful excerpt from one of them, talking about this love then that fills us up and how naturally it should just be overflowing. He says, we do not love God because we tried to do so. True love cannot come in that way. You may say, I intend to think, and you may succeed in doing it, but you cannot act like that with regard to love. Oh no, love is not a slave to be at a man's beck and call, it's a master. And when even the lowest form of love comes on a man, it carries him away wherever it will. So this highest type of human love, our love to God, overpowers us. It is never the result of effort on our part. Did you ever hear a mother say, I will try to love my child? I don't know how she would go to work to bring about such a state as that. Oh no, she loves her child naturally. She cannot help loving her own offspring. I never tried to love my sons. I cannot help loving them. My love to them is not the effect of any effort on my part. It is as free as the dew that drops from heaven. We may not know how it comes, but we know that we have not made it. You know, Spurgeon, he, he likened God's love for like a mother and father or children. And you might think like, yeah, I've heard that a million times. It's a classic example for a reason, right? Kids drive parents crazy. They're insane, right? And yet we still love them. What is that? What is that about? Something that's unexplainable. Someone can explain that to me, right? But instead, like we often find ourselves with God, if we put ourselves in the children's spot, right? We, we find ourselves with God building our resume to God, building our resume of our love for God and others. Like just think about your life, right? What area in your life would you point to if someone asked you how you are loving God? What's your go-to? Like, I go to church, read my Bible, I pray. Like, what are, what are the things that you, you do, right? What is the resume you would go to to show that you are a Christ follower, right? What conditions do you base God's love on? And we all do this. And what we do sometimes even more is we build a list of things we don't do. Well, I don't do, you know, I don't swear, chew, or date girls that do, right? That's how I learned it. Like, I'm doing pretty good, right? The reality is, if someone asks you, how do you love God and how do you know God loves you? The answer shouldn't be what we do, right? The answer, it's in who you are becoming in Christ, right? It's in how much you've denied yourself and surrendered your life to just be loved so that that love, that, that God-given love is all that comes out. And this goes back to the very beginning, verse 7, where John starts out with this reminder in the letter that we are the beloved, right? Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. If we surrender to such a great and perfect love, then we are to pour out that love. 
And there's confidence in this because we know it's not on our effort or our willpower, but in the God who can actually sustain his perfect love because it is who he is. And it's in the understanding and accepting the unconditional love of God in our own lives first that makes us the loved ones of God, which then propel us to then be lovers of others. Be loved is both inward and outward, right? True agape love is not our secret to keep or just for our own quiet times in our room. It should always compel us towards loving one another because that is the character of God. And to end, you know, chapter 4, John circles back to some earlier thoughts, verse 20 and 21. He says, so if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he sees cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's pretty simple. If we surrender to God, We are filled up with that self-sacrificial, unconditional love that has no fear in it, has no hate in it, and this love compels us to live into then that self-sacrificial and unconditional nature in loving those in and around us, right? And if that doesn't describe you and that doesn't describe me, then for all of us, it's a time for reminder of that. It's a time for repentance, a time for surrendering. It's not too late, right? There's always coming back to the Lord. And this is where I want to end the plane or land the plane today. Being the beloved is the greatest gift we can be given outside of eternal life, which also comes with being the beloved, which is incredible, right? If you're like me, you've probably asked once or twice or a million times in life, why am I still here? Wouldn't it be most loving of a God to just whisk all those away who say they love him so that we don't have to suffer the pain of this world any longer? Wouldn't God be more loving if he just ended it all here and now? But here's the deal. The reality is that God still has love for the world. You and I maybe gave up (laughs) or thinking about it, but God still loves the world. There are still people to be loved, and he uses his beloved to do the loving. Right? If we are still here, it's because God is still loving someone lost and wants us to share that love. If we are here, it's up to us to do all the loving we would, ha- we would have quit a long time ago. We would have given up way before now if it was just up to us. But God's love is eternally self-sacrificial and unconditional. And with that kind of love, there are many people to be loved, and that well does not go dry. Right? If you, just, if you disagree... Take a second and look at your life. You and I were that person. At one point in our life, you and I were undeserving of God's perfect love. But God loved you so much that he then gave you the ability to love others by first loving you. So our first step of worship today is to praise God for the love that he has given us, right? for us as the beloved to be full of gratitude and thankfulness, and then to express that gratitude by loving those around us, being led by the Spirit to where God's love is moving so we can be in step with that, right? Testing that Spirit to make sure it's in line with the right Savior of Jesus in the flesh, because as the children of God, ultimately, this family 
is built on love. And that's what it means to be in this family of God. And when we respond today, you guys know how we do it. Don't even explain it. But when we do it, think of it in the lenses of we lo- God loved us first. We can only love. We can only sing, pray, give, and receive the love of God because he has first given us that. And this is a surrendering for us all to sit and be filled up as a community with this love, this unconditional self-sacrificial love of God. So then, then when we express it, in these ways, and then when we leave these doors, and all next week, all our lives, we get to express that agape love. So it first takes a surrender for us to then be able to pour out that love. So that's what responding about is today. We're going to surrender in worship of that God loved us so that we can love him.